scary ghosts, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs> Well, here we are. We're back. We've been gone a few days, haven't we? Oh, you know we have. Yeah, lot's happened. You know, I started my new job. You did? Yeah. How, how you liking it? I, I like it's in, it's another porn shop again. But I, I'm gonna tell you, this is you're at right at home, Barry. Come well, on, well, it's now. totally different from the one I worked out before. The one I worked at before was kind of nasty. That was some sketchy and sleeves. Funky, <laughs> that was and, sketchy and, and, and funky and. Uh, and sleazy and dirty, and they had like dirty ghetto people and all this kind of stuff. This one's a you were cleaning cum off the ceiling back then. I wasn't cleaning shit because they had somebody do that. Now, they had to clean one, shit too. No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes. Nasty. Yes, so how's yes, the new yes. one though? Is it nice? Oh, you would be, you wouldn't believe this. The boss is probably one of the coolest guys in the world. And I'm not gonna mention his name because I don't know if he wants me to, but. um he knows about the podcast and everything, and he said he's going to start listening. And he showed me how the booths were totally different than the ones in that old thing there. They, they were DVDs that were, like, you know, always freezing, and, and they would, um, and you just press these little buttons, and the quality was real bad. But this is all state-of-the-art. First, a menu comes up, and you, and you choose whether you want gay or straight. So, you know which one I chose. So this is like really like, yeah, he got me is the, this like touchscreen stuff? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a little like keypad. Oh, okay. And there is a touchscreen, yeah. And so I chose the gay and they had, then they have all these categories and then they have subcategories. Like they'll have bears and then they'll have like bears and twinks. What? Or bears and bears. Or, you know, and, and then they have, um, they also have live webcams. So he said, check out, because he had a, a um, you know, a credit slip. So he says, check out one of the live webcams. So I chose the Spanish guy, and it typed in, hey, and he said, hey. And I said, what's up? He says, nothing yet. That's up to you, which in other words, it means he wanted a tip. So he said, go ahead and tip him 10 coins. I don't know. I guess a coin must be a dollar. So I tipped him 10 coins, and he pulled his pants down and pulled his thing out and put it in the... At the camera and everything. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I know how that works, but I don't think I can frequent it. He told me not to get tempted, so I won't. So you're slinging the porn films and the porn experience. Well, we do sell DVDs and we sell um, we sell toys. We sell D we do sell DVDs, but they have two theaters, big big theaters with big screen TVs and and like sofas and and easy chairs, and. One of them's straight and one of them's gay. The gay one's in the back, the straight one's in the front, so that the straight people don't have to go through the gay one, you know? And um, we also have the arcade, which is the little booths, the little rooms, with the where you touch, with the web thing and, you know, the webcam or the, or, or the streaming movies. And uh, But we sell DVDs, and we have, they have really good prices. We have seven ninety five DVDs, and if you buy three of them, you get 20% off. It sounds like I'm doing a commercial. I'm gonna see if he wants to do a commercial. You, you get twenty percent off, and if you sell, and then we have the twenty, the fourteen ninety five ones. If you buy three of them or a mix and match, you still get twenty percent off. And it's so cool. Everything's so state of the art. I don't have that nineteen eighty six register like I had in the other. <laughs> <one. laughs> 
And um, so, yeah, it's weird. I got this job off at Indeed. And my boss from the last job used to work there, and she gave me a reference. So I wanted to thank, thank her for that. That was, a, that was a very nice thing. You know. Well, there you go. Well, tonight we're doing a... This is a special, once again, episode. We're going to the movies. It's also our season four opener. And it is our season four opener. And we are talking about the 1980s. We're going to be looking at the 1986 movie, The Hitcher. Starring Rooker Howard, Rooker Howard, C. Thomas Howell, Jeffrey DeMond, and Jennifer Jason Lee. And we'll also do a comparison of it to the 2007 movie. Which, as well. Yes. But which, we're mainly going to focus on the 1986. The 2007 one starred uh, Eric Brent. Uh, the, oh, no. Yeah. The two, Sean Bean, Sophia Bush, Zachary Knighton, and Neil McDonald. Yeah. Neil, Neil McDonald. Is that how you pronounce his name? McDonald? Yeah. You remember him from Desperate Housewives? He was. You, you watched Desperate Housewives, yes. right? All right. He was Edie's husband. That she thought was trying to that was trying to kill her, and when she was running away from him, she ran into the and the thing died and the thing electrocuted her. That's how they got Nicolo Sheridan out of the show. That was him. Yeah, I didn't at first. Yeah, that that was was him. Well, he's very very unique looking. You know, he's um. I wasn't even thinking about that. He plays a good villain, but he wasn't a villain in that in that. No, no, no. But when I was watching, you're right. I didn't even. I know him. He is. The same. I think it turned out that he really wasn't trying to kill her. That he really loved her, and he was upset when she died. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so the uh, the one we we're going to talk about mostly, but we are going to be comparing it to the second one, is the 1986 thriller uh, directed by Richard Robert Harmon and written by Eric Red, and uh, that's Rutger Hauer is the way his name is pronounced. That actor, right? He's played made yeah. many different things. Oh yeah. So it's this film starts. Uh, it's a road drama, and that's our theme this this month. Our theme we, is death on the open road. Hollywood homicide. Oh, Hollywood. Uh, uh, Hollywood. Highway, highway homicide. Highway homicides. I want to do Hollywood homicides. Of course, this is day, a, yeah. this is kind of Hollywood. It's the movie. Okay, we have Jim Hensy played um, Jim Housley, played by T. C. Thomas Howell, and he's a young man. He's he's doing what they do. They still have driveways. They used to be a service. Where they would hire somebody to, if somebody moved, like say from Miami to Los Angeles, they could hi- they would hire a person to drive their car back. I don't even think people worry about that anymore because they get rid of their one car and then they got Carvana getting them a whole new car and the new place. I mean, nowadays. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that, that, I did. I don't or, know if they do that. Or now I've heard where you could put your car on. They're doing where you could put it on the Amtrak and have it sent. Or people are getting it delivered. So I don't know. It's they could get them delivered on those big old trucks, you know. They're so they're doing it. Trucks. There's all kinds of ways now. I don't know if the driveway services are, uh, are around anymore. I would have liked to have done that. That would have been a good I way to travel. S- I saw that on Am- Amtrak, though. Some of the trains you, you know, can we, actually put your vehicle, and then you can ride the you train. You know, we can look that up. Isn't that interesting? And see if they still uh, exist. I don't think they have that, because there's too many other new things now. Yeah. Yeah, but look it up to driveway service. Yeah, you gonna check it up? But that's what I said. I don't. But it is interesting. It was something different. No, it looks like they still have. Oh yeah, it's four ninety nine to ship your car anywhere. Calculate your cost. Auto drive away. Yeah, there's one in. uh, But is it like that? Is it like that where someone's driving it, or is it just? 
now they, they, they hire a driver. They, you have to have a good driving record. So it still is the way it was. Yeah, and you can transport a vehicle, and then you get another one to take you home. Okay. That would be a good way to travel, wouldn't right. it? So anyway, Jim Jim Halsey is a young man, and he's he's working a driveway. He's bringing a Cadillac Seville. Remember those? Oh, gosh. When he yeah. picks up a hitchhiker named John Ryder, played by Rutger Howard. Oh, okay. I got to admit, that name is just a little too matching. John Ryder? Yeah. Let's talk about that for just a sec. What did you think about that name? I thought about that. Well, I saw the, oh, the 2007 when I watched that one first. And it's the same name in both. It movies. is the same name, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I caught it. I caught Isn't it. it just a little too obvious? Obvious for yeah. the for the movie, yeah. So anyway, uh, Jim passes a stranded car, and Ryder put, takes his hand and puts it on his leg. It almost looks like he's flirting, and makes him hit the gas. And the boy's going down there, and he's pretty. He, he's freaked out about that. So then he tells him he murdered, uh, he murdered the driver of that car, and he'll do the same to Jim. And he starts threatening him with a switchblade. This is all happening in like the first, what, 10 minutes of the movie. And so Jim, ex-Ryder, um, what he wants, he says, I want you to stop me. So when Jim realizes that Ryder never put on his seatbelt and the car's passenger door is involved, he shoves him out the door. And then he's all relieved. He thinks it's all over. Not by long shot. So he, uh, Jim keeps on going. And Wait, now you missed the scene, wasn't it? Wasn't the scene during all of that where they went through the little checkpoint with this, with the? Uh... No, that comes later. Oh, that's later. Okay, yeah. I'm confusing. I'm sorry. So then he goes and um, oh, it did it. Was it there? Because you said the switchblade. Maybe he had the switchblade on the crotch. You know, yeah, and he he yeah he does try to pass the cop, is checking things out, and the cop sees Ryder's hand on Jim's crotch. And he thinks they're a gay couple. He goes, okay, go ahead, sweethearts. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You, read, you can't that leave that out. out. You can't leave that so, out. So uh, Jim, when he finally gets rid of him, he um, he sees uh, he sees Ryder in the back of the station wagon with the sins. Um, so he, he, he goes trying to find him. To oh, yeah, with him. the goddamn teddy bear. And that was the creep, the thing, the teddy bear. Yeah, the Ryder's teddy got the, bear. Like, the little kid, and he's kissing it, you know, like he's being sweet. Oh, with it. and that was in both movies, actually. Yeah, yeah. Both the and, uh, so, um, yeah, that was in both movies. So then, um, then later he finds the, the bodies of all the 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 family, and then he goes to the gas station. And he vomits, and Ryder is there, and he tosses the keys he, that he took from Jim's car. And then, and then Ryder leaves with a trucker. And then Jim encounters him again in another gas station where the trucker nearly runs him down and it crashes into the pumps. As Jim flees, Ryder causes the station to explode. So, this guy's like pretty, pretty busy. I mean, this movie is nonstop action from the beginning to end. So then he goes to a roadside diner and he meets a young woman named Nash, played by... Jennifer Jason Lee, early in her career, it was I think it might have been right after Fast Times at Ridgemont High, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, because yeah, this, yeah, this was eighty six. This yeah. is eighty six, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High was what eighty two, eighty four, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah, that was one of Sean Penn's first things too that he did. So, um, and you know, she reminded me a lot of Jessica Lange in that, like a young Jessica. At Lange. first, I did not see it with you, but then I noticed it towards the end. I was like, "Oh, you're right." And she I was wearing it. a Jessica Lange hairdo. 
She had that, but that it, kind but, of bob. But it was less about the hair. I actually saw the mannerisms towards the end that you were talking about. Yeah, I saw them. I can remember when I first watched, saw it in the 80s. I was wondering, I, I wondered if she was related to Jessica Lange. But one of the best lines in there, in, in, that, in that diner scene, was, wasn't it? It was something like she said, does this mean I can smoke now? And it's like, it was such a 1986 moment because you can't smoke in restaurants. And, and nobody diners. smokes anyway. And hardly anybody smokes anymore. And now both of these kids are smoking. You wouldn't have... But it was so captured in that moment that it was great. You wouldn't have young young people in their late teens, early 20s smoking in a movie today. Unless it was a period piece. Because in the 2007 when neither one of those kids smoked. Yeah. And that's really, so that really is like, but it made for a great line that you would not get today. So then he, um, he calls the police when he finds a severed finger in his food and realizes that Ryder's there. And the police arrest Jim as Ryder framed him for the murders of the family. And the police doubt his guilt, but they lock him up overnight. When Jim awakens, he finds the cell door unlocked and all the officers dead. Who is this guy, Jason? <laughs> the Terminator? He gets in everywhere. So he, he, he panics, he leaves, and he, he, he leaves with a, with a gun. He takes a gun and leaves. And he goes back to a gas station. There's a lot of gas stations in this movie. And he sees two officers, takes them hostage, and speaks to Captain Estridge. Oh, wait, well, let me, wait, wait, wait. Think about what you just said. First off, okay, both movies... And even more so with the 1980 movie, were set in the American Southwest. Yeah. And just the West alone, or if you've ever traveled out in the American Southwest, gas stations are pretty important. Oh, they yeah. They do combine them with cafes, with motels, with different things. Well, I always combine with convenience And stores. this really does go back to the tradition, if we even look, which later on in the we're actually looking at Route 66, talking about that. It really goes back to that tradition of the West where it was about the open road, the concept of what we're mainly talking about. So when you're looking at the West, we have to consider, it's kind of neat that the gas station really is the setting. It, yeah. It, so they, and they, like I said, a lot of gas stations. Yep. And then he takes these, these cops hostage. And of course, Ryder pulls, as uh, uh, um, uh, Estridge convinces Jim to surrender, Ryder pulls up and kills the two officers. So uh, the patrol cars crash and Ryder disappears and he keeps on like making you know, framing Jim for this. And, and then Jim decides he's going to kill himself, but then he reaches a cafe where Ryder confronts him and pointing out that Jim's revolver is unloaded. Ryder leaves him several bullets and departs. So Jim gets on the bus and he meets Dash again. He sees her again and he attempts to explain the situation. She wasn't really buying it at first, was she? Mm. But after a police car pulls over the bus and Jim surrenders, the furious officers accuse him of killing their colleague and attempt to kill him. So Nash appears with a gun and disarms the officers and hunt Jim Flea in the patrol car. So the police are chasing them and Ryder joins the chase and murders the police officers. How gets away with killing so many cops? I never saw anything quite like that. That was really intense. I gotta admit, for for nineteen eighty six, they actually actually felt like some of the things they were doing were actually better than the two thousand seven. That was one of them. So then Jim and Nash they they abandoned the police car at the motel, and while Jim is in the shower, Ryder abducts Nash. 
Jim looks for her, and he's discovered by, by Estridge, who takes Jim to two trucks with Ned, where he has, Ryder, uh, has Nash tied between them and a gag in her mouth. And he's, Ryder's the wheel of one truck and threatens to tear Nash apart. So Estridge tells Jim that the men cannot shoot Ryder, his foot will slip on the clutch. So that would cause the truck to roll and it would kill her. That's an, that, that was intense. Yeah. And they did the same scene in the other movie, but they it was Jim and... Yeah, it was Jim and said thing. And the girl, he had his girlfriend with him who was uh, and Sophia that, Bush. It was uh, That Grace. really confused the story. I, I think the 1986 Well, it kind of switched the, um, the leads from... It was the female that was the actual hero in the second one. Which, if they wanted to do that, they and, should have uh, made her the driver up front. They should have had her be the driver. Which would have been smarter on the movie. Just, just because, I will say that. I think that they showed so much more gore and stuff in the 2007. Yeah. Cheapened the movie. Well, yeah, because okay, so let, let, let's let that me scene tell you what's partic- happening. Let yeah, me I'm sorry, that scene in particular because we haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah. So uh, he's trying to. He gives him a revolver, but he's unable to shoot him because he actually is a man with a conscience. He can't just shoot right. somebody in cold blood. So Ryder releases a clutch and pulls Nash apart. But we see that off screen in this movie. When it's Jim and Grace, and it's the same scene Grace is trying, and Jim gets pulled apart, we see it explicitly. Yeah. It's like they have a dummy filled with meat. Just... I also question the mechanics of that, because it was at the wrist that was being held. So I'm wondering how exactly would you be pulled apart? Well, I don't know about they that. They kind of questioned that to begin with. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, you would a, bleed out a good bit if the right force, some from somewhere. That's not yeah. here. That's Curtis's phone. And there would like be that. damage. I get that. Yeah, but I think it was overly exaggerated. Well, he was like um, that was over exaggerated in the 2007 film, and and that's why I think the 1986 film did better. Well, by not both sh- of these movies are very unrealistic. But no, no. But the 1986 did better by not showing that, but implying that they did an actual better job. Yeah. So finally, Ryder is arrested and taken into custody, and Estridge gives Jim a ride, but, but Jim, believing the police cannot hold Ryder, takes Estridge's revolver and vehicle and chases down Ryder's prison bus. And in the meantime, Ryder has killed the deputies and leapt through the windshield as the bus crashes. So Jim slams on his brakes, sending Ryder through the windshield onto the road, and Ryder challenges Jim to run over him, which he does. And as Jim leaves his car to observe Ryder's body, Ryder jumps up and Jim shoots him repeatedly with a shotgun, finally killing him. And then Gene leads against Estrus's car in a daze and smokes a cigarette as the sun sets. Now, um, I kind of... This movie, you really have to suspend your belief. Uh, both of these movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, it was... I mean, I'm saying, like, what is this guy, Jason, or the Terminator, where he just goes into a police station and just kills... All the cops. So let's uh, make a few little comparisons to the 2007. We've already done the, the, the pulling apart with the two trucks. They changed the female lead. Yeah. And it's, in the 2007, Sophia Bush and the actor playing Jim. I, I'm, now, let me see. I'm going to find his name. It escapes me for the, for the moment. Uh, well, one of the biggest things you got to mention. Yeah, he was, um, he was uh, Zachary Knighton. And uh, Sean Bean plays John Ryder, the hitcher, the same poet that wrote um, yeah. 
Ruga Howard plays. And uh, Sophia Bush is a new character named Grace Andrews. Is kind of she kind of takes the place of Nash, but she's in the movie from the beginning, and she's actually the lead. I would have preferred her being the driver. If they were going to really do it, do it from the beginning. I think they the way made... in which they did the 2000, that was one of the biggest problems they did in the 2007. Was... I think the boyfriend should have just been the passenger. And she should have been somebody she meets on the, on the road when he gets pulled apart. Instead of the boyfriend and girlfriend going off on a trip. Yeah. Because they're college students. They're going to... To meet her friends, for, they're going out for spring break. They're heading the, there. Okay, yeah. They're, 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 the location differences. They were heading to Lake Havasu, which is actually saying that correct in Arizona. Yeah. Which is known for having actually, they were known during the pandemic for having too much of a gathering when they weren't supposed to. Yeah, they, <laughs> they have a big old spike in that state mm-hmm. too. In Arizona. Yeah. And he was then going to San Diego to do, like you said, doing the the driveway. So his that's what actually that in itself was more believable. And what's it was the coolest thing, the real star of that show was the nineteen seventy cutlass. Yes, yes, yes. And it was tragic when the thing gets totaled. I know you cried. I was no, oh, they can't do that tear. to that cutlass. A little tear came. Well, oh, if it would have been a sixty eight, which I like better than a seventy, oh, I really shit. would have been crying. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that was major between the two, and, it, and, and actually it's what made the show actually less believable in the 2007, even though the 1986 was crazy, is the role of cell phones. Yeah. We realize now how much creepier of a time in itself the 80s was because there weren't cell phones. And this is really important with talking about any of these cases we're talking about this month, not just this movie. Anything we're talking about is before when you didn't have cell phones and you were on the open road, it was a lot more dangerous. Yeah, they both were The wild, wild west and the open road are just not as wild or with a cell phone. Yeah. You're able to call 911. They weren't able to call 911. Well, every time in the movies now, you know how they handle the cell phone thing? They can't get a signal when they're in danger. They're always somewhere in a remote where there's no towers. Which is also bullshit because the interstate's always, if you're on the big interstate. Well, that's good, really, because you know they're working on the nationwide Wi-Fi system now. Yeah, and also if and you're on interstates, the interstate's a while back. I think that was maybe even like when they first. Because now you have cars that actually have where Wi-Fi. They always set up the good Wi-Fi. And you have cars that have these systems where if anything happens, insurance companies are doing that now too. If anything right. happens, they have a, um, they, they it goes right away. They they they. They could tell what there's a So collision. you caught that. You noticed yeah. that. That was like a real big thing. I and they had to, that, yeah. They had to get somewhere where there was a pay phone or an actual phone in the 86 movie, which made yeah. it which made it so more... Well, much more desperate. Desperate and fearful, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, you, you couldn't... Um, they, they used people in St. Bernard Parish were always afraid of the city. But when my generation started going out, we started going to the quarter... Instead of just going out somewhere in Chalmette, they used to tell us always instead of taking Claiborne, take St. Claude because they were lighted phones. Yeah. But if somebody's chasing you, do you really have time to get in the pay, stop the car and get in a payphone? Well, yeah, and that's like the reason the 2007 movie didn't work is it was really a, towards the beginning the girl kind of like shut down the whole idea. All that really needed to be done is y'all saw the guy call somebody to go check in. Yeah, but even by 2007. The cell phones weren't like the phones today. 
and they didn't have nationwide Wi-Fi. Oh, now it's even worse. You can never remake this movie at all. No, because they... But did. then you could still at least have called somebody. Unless the phone breaks or that it gets thrown out the window or something like that. That's the only way. But you see, you have, you have Wi-Fi everywhere now. You have the smartphones now. What? There's Wi-Fi everywhere. There's smartphones. Oh, yeah. And um, you have everything. It's really easy to get in touch with the police. And I think there's more policemen around, too, now. You know, I don't know about right now with pandemic stuff and everybody getting laid off. But there were back then. I mean, there was just recently. So anyway, um, yeah, it really couldn't happen today. And actually, it was unbelievable anyway. Nobody can go into a police station and kill all the police like this guy did. Also, about the, I found that uh, Rutger Hauer was much more menacing than Sean Bean. Sean Bean wasn't as scary. I mean, come on, he was Ned, he's Ned Stark. You know? <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know if it was and the, he's doing the, Lord of the, the guy from The Lord of the Rings. It, well, well, he wasn't that. It just, he didn't even really, I, it just, I don't know if it was the makeup they did, the hair, what, the skin, like just something was off for me. Rutger Howard scared the he hell out of me. Look, yes, he looked. I wouldn't want to meet him on the, I wouldn't be afraid of Sean Bean. But I'd be afraid of Rutger Hauer. <laughs> yeah, because he was giving me that sort of Anthony Hopkins kind of Don, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that, that, that Doctor before Lex Silence scary, of the yeah. Lambs. Yeah, yeah, they, he was he was pretty scary. Oh yeah, especially when he did that thing when he uh, remember after the uh, he got Jim spit on him. Remember he spit on him and then he just razzed and he's all like selling or playing with the spit. And I'm like, oh. That was disgusting. Like, what kind of weird, <laughs> erotic shit is this? And I think there was a homosexual overtone, undertones because he grabbed his crotch and grabbed and, and grabbed his leg and pushed it down. And that's... Not so is it this thing of where, like, man. he wanted to control the young man? It was a, definitely a control issue. Yeah. But this is a character... All right, and then there was no, there was no record of him... Now, in the 2007, that would be ridiculous because his DNA would be everywhere. He killed yeah. all those people. Oh, yeah. Now, in 86, they could get away with it because DNA wasn't perfected yet. Right. You know, I don't, think they, I don't think widespread use of DNA started until the 90s. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so, well, anyway, this, um, this movie is um, available on... Cinemax, we saw it on right on uh, streaming Cinemax because I have the um, the I have it on my Amazon Prime. So if you have Cinemax streaming Cinemax, and you have Amazon Prime with streaming Cinemax, you can see there's a 2007 version is available on Peacock. So if you have Peacock, you can you can see the 2007 yes. version, and um, it's rated R. May it was released on February twenty first, nineteen eighty six, ninety seven minutes long. So anyway, um, how many shutters do you? Oh, give we need this? you for each one. Yeah. Okay, the first one. How many? So nineteen eighty six. Okay, I'll give the nineteen eighty six. I'll be a little out of nice. five. Three and a half. Yeah, I mean, same me. Three and a half, and I would give the two thousand seven three. I'm going two and a half. You went two, two and a half. Two. I'm going a little low. There was a lot of hole. Yeah, of well, it was, both movies suspended your belief. The acting was 
was okay in both of them. The acting was way better in the 86 one. The, uh, but as far as the villain goes, um, Rutger Hauer had over one. Sean Bean, you know? Sorry, Sean, Sean Bean. Bean. We love you. But yeah, that, but, you know, I still keep on seeing Ned Stark. And Ned Stark that, doesn't kill people. Well, I mean, no, not, that wasn't unless my... Unless they deserve that it. That wasn't my issue with it. It just was not... Like, they were trying to force something else, you know? So this is pretty much a little mini episode, actually. It's because it's not even a half hour long. But that's okay because we have another big episode we're recording right after this. But it's not a huge. It's not like, like a movie where we've got like to talk about these potentials of things. Yeah. It's not. A, it's well, not I, a bio- I, I, okay. The, the acting. Um. Rick. Well, Rick Howard. We already discussed Rick Howard versus Sean Bean. Excellent. Uh. What about C. Thomas Howell in the first one? Way better. And Jennifer Jason Lee. Ah, she was kind of a call-in. I kind of like it, though. It kind of fit in an interesting way. Because it actually fit, fit sort of with that thing. And I like the... Um, well, because... Okay, you bring up a good point. Bringing up her character, bringing up the role that Jennifer Jason Lee did, it made it more interesting that he had to find it sort of this character that sort of needed to be sort of like his person to tell him he was going to be okay. He's going to be... Right, and he also... That little safety net, he actually ends up losing that. Yeah. I think that was more compelling than the couple with all the ridiculousness in the 2007. Yeah. And um, I liked uh, uh, Sean Bean, like we said, he was kind of. He did, he wasn't as menacing as, as Rutger Hauer. And um, now I like Sophia Bush. I like everybody, just about everything she's been in. She, I liked her in One Tree Hill. And I think she's beautiful. But. I, I, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee did okay with the way she did it. I would have liked it if, like you said, if Sophia Bush would have been the lead and she would have been driving and she was by herself and she meets the guy on the way, just switch the gender up. It might have made it a little more interesting. Right, it would have made it interesting. But it, he, it, it, that was a couple drama kind of. bring up a big problem. I think the script was written in its time originally for 86 and they tried to take this 86 script or whatever, this 80s script, and make it into the 2000 script. And it just didn't hold up. Well, even the 2000s movie, there's things that wouldn't hold up today because well, so much technology. Well, because they were trying to use some of the same lines, some of the same stuff, and it just didn't. The 2007, when you watch it, just doesn't hold up. Whereas the 80s, when you can watch it and be like, this is kind of entertaining. Like, if you really think... You, you go, I was more entertained by the 80s. You go back to, say, 2001, 20 years ago. There were no smartphones. It was little flip phones. Yeah. And, there, and you know, you, either have, you didn't have tablets. You either had a laptop or, or, a, or a desktop. So you didn't really take your computer everywhere with you unless you had a laptop. And there wasn't Wi-Fi all over the place. No, there was not. You know, you, you know you had, I remember the first laptop I had, I bought in 2005. And you had to hook it up to oh, the Internet. There was no yeah, Wi-Fi. Yeah, we weren't even getting... It wasn't until... So they really could never do that movie this in this century, in this I decade. would say... Where you could say where everything was really starting to get prolific with smartphones would have been the mid part of the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. Because some people even at the early part didn't have completely smartphones. I got my first smartphone around 2013. I was about maybe the same time, around 2012, 2013. I think everybody was. Because I had like a, like a BlackBerry kind of thing in 2011. Before that, yeah, yeah I had the Black... Yeah, I had the BlackBerry too. You were I right. had the, it wasn't an actual BlackBerry, but it was a little... It had a little... 
a keyboard on time and a tiny screen. But that's what most people most people had kind of that that, that weren't the early the, unless the flip you were phones, one of those, you unless you're one the, of those early people that had the early iPhone. Oh well, no, I didn't have the early iPhone. A lot of people didn't. Me neither. Those things cost like three thousand. Me neither. No, 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 not the first ones. I had I had some friends that had to get it. Oh. They really didn't have the money to get it. You well, know? today you finance your phone. Well, yeah, that all changed. It all became part of the. So anyway, um, so that uh, that's uh, the Hitcher, two thousand seven and uh, nineteen eighty six. Yep. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a break before we start recording our next episode, which is a true season four opener. Yeah. It's gonna be the um, the Indian River County in Florida murderer. It's gonna be about a um, a psycho state trooper named Tim Harris, who murders. A woman he pulled over, Lorraine Hendricks. Uh, and I got a lot of interesting things to say about that. This is, that's going to be probably a pretty good episode. So until then, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Unless you're a hitchhiker. A murderous hitchhiker. Fly all the way out the fucking window and fall. <laughs> and fall. I'll go down the fall road. Fall off a cliff road. into the ravine. Yes. Do like Homer Simpson going down the, the hill like yeah. that. Leave a dust cow out behind you, yeah. <laughs> All right, good night, everybody. finding him and um so he he um he claimed at one time that he had killed a former med uh, med school classmate robert lelock in 1886 for insurance money but lelock died in walford ontario in canada on on october 5th 1889 so while he in 18 in 1886 he was still married to clara when he met Murder, Belknap. Murder, murder. He had a wife named Murder. Murder. Is that kind of prolific or what? Prophetic, not prolific. Murder, 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 murder. It's kind of prophetic, isn't it? Murder. I should be joking about the name. That is an old school name, no murder. A neighbor I married in Minneapolis, and he filed for divorce from Clara a few after he after he married her. Alleged infidelity on her part, but the claims could not be proven in this suit. Went nowhere. So honestly, stayed, in all honesty, Clara. I wouldn't have blamed Clara if she did have an infidelity dealing with his crazy ass. Actually, I give her credit for the bravery to have an infidelity if she did have one with while being with him. So, <laughs> am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it was. Um, the divorce was never finalized. It was dismissed on June fourth, eighteen ninety-one, on the grounds of want to prosecute, want of prosecution. So he had a daughter with murder named Lucy, who was born July fourth, eighteen eighty-nine, in Inglewood, Chicago, Illinois. And Lucy became wound up becoming the public school teacher. Had a normal life. His his children weren't crazy. They didn't they didn't inherit the nuts. 
uh, <laughs> Holmes, and he lived with Murder and Lucy in Willamette, Illinois, and spent most of his time in Chicago tending to business. Then he married a woman named Georgiana Yoke on January 17, 1894, in Denver, Colorado, while he was still married to both women. So bigamy is another crime of his. I'm sorry. At this point, really, bigamy is like the least of the worries. Really? <laughs> yeah, well, it's nothing compared to what's coming up. I mean, if bigamy was, nobody take offense, but if you can't take the joke, so be it. But I'm about to say, if bigamy was his problem, you just go to Utah, okay? <laughs> Come on now. So we're going back to 1886 now, when he moved to Chicago, after when he started using H.H. Uh, Holmes, and he can't, he, he came across a drugstore owned by Elizabeth S. Holton, west corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Inglewood. Uh, she gave, he got a job at the pharmacy, and he was a hard-working, good employee, and he eventually bought the store. Now, several people say that um, they portray her husband as an old man who quickly vanished along with his wife, and... Um, only a few years old, but he was actually only a few years older than Holmes, and they both remained in Inglewood throughout Holmes' life, and they survived well into the 20th century, so he didn't kill them. I remember I had read a book one time but you say he's where working. they were missing, and they thought that he killed them. Now, this is intriguing. You say he's working at the pharmacy, right? Yeah. Okay, through most of American history, maybe up until just recently, but through most of American history, and definitely... Once they started actually doing polling, maybe not around this time, the idea of the pharmacy and the pharmacist was one of the most trusted careers in America for a long time. People actually trusted their pharmacist yeah. more than their doctor. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I think he knew that. Like, if you don't realize a lot of what he's doing, is he's playing into a lot of these things that deal with trust factors. To lure people into his life. Yeah. Sorry, I had to put that and get you to notice that for a second. I don't know if you'd realized that yeah. before. But continue on. <laughs> so, yeah, also, there's another um, uh, person that people th say he murdered, a woman named uh, Kate uh, Durkee. And he didn't kill her. She was very much alive. Now, he purchased an empty lot across the street from the drugstore, and that's when he built what later was to be called his murder castle. And um, he built a two-story uh, mixed-use building with apartments on the second floor and retail spaces on the first floor. And it also included a new drugstore. So uh, one of the creditors named John uh, died of apoplexy. Apocalypse. Let me see. That? What are you trying to read? I'm trying to read this. Oh, under apoplexy. Apoplexy. Okay. Yes, apoplexy. On uh, April 17th, 1891, in the drugstore, and it's known, it's unknown if Holmes was involved with his death, but when he declined to pay the architects in the steel company, Etna and Steel, they sued in 1888, and in 1892, he added a third floor telling investors and suppliers that he intended to use it as a hotel during the World's Fair. Just for explanation out there, apoplexy is bleeding within the internal organs. So he could have given them something. And take. it's the and it's the accompanying symptoms of that, so it's bleeding, yeah. Yeah, that's, not, that's a pretty nasty way to go. <laughs>
Yeah, that sound that doesn't sound. I don't like that at all. <laughs> so uh, in, in 1892, he had the third floor. He said he intended to make a hotel for the World's Fair. Yeah, and the hotel portion was never completed. Just uh, not completed, but it was somewhat completed. Yeah, because it was some use. And, yeah. And the three stories in the basement. Now, the first floor was a storefront. The second story was elaborate torture rooms, <coughs> which contained the chute. Like a Are you being tortured chute. right now? What happened? No, it contained a chute that led to the basement. It was something where he threw bodies. They always throw it. The, they always have a chute, don't they? There's always a chute in these like uh, <laughs> torture. Or those, those, uh, those um, particular. Um, what am I saying? Um, in those particular, in that particular. If area. it's not a shoot, it's a dumbwaiter, right? Isn't it? <coughs> dumbwaiter is the one with the little, like an elevator. And yeah, the, yeah. And well, the they can either hurry yeah. and transfer things, or it's a shoot. There's either that or the other, or both. Yeah, always yeah. in a. Sorry, <laughs> I just noticed a pattern. <laughs> okay. if, if there's a killer, there's always a pattern to these facilities. So yeah, the 1893 World's Fair came. Uh, Columbian Exposition came to um, to Chicago. And he had the rooms that were soundproof, so they, nobody could, you could hear nobody screaming. And many of the rooms were outfitted with chutes that would drop straight down to the basement where Holmes had acid vats. Oh, shit. He would throw people in vats of acid. And <laughs> a quick lime and crematorium to dispose of his victims' bodies. He had the crematorium in his house. And furniture suppliers found Holmes was hiding their materials for which he had never paid in hidden rooms and passages through the through the buildings. So the search made news, and investors for the planned hotel pulled out of the deal when a jeweler in the building showed them all their articles. In 1894, some police officers inspected the hotel while Holmes was out, and during the inspection, they found rooms. Hinged with walls and false partitions, rooms leaked with secret passageways, and even airtight rooms that were connected to pipelines filled with gas. Wow. <laughs> and he would use uh, chutes to deliver bodies in the basement, and once there, he, would, he made use of the surgical tables and an array of medical jobs to dissect them before selling organs and bones on the black market into medical institutions. Oh, God. Oh. So the hotel part was gutted by fire, an unknown arsonist, shortly after Holmes was arrested, but was largely rebuilt and used as a post office until 1938. Uh, so, okay, here we get on to the murders. Okay, one of his earliest murders was his mistress, Julia Smythe. And she was the wife of Ned Connor, who had moved into his building. And began working in the, at the former C's jewelry counter. And after Connor found out about him and his wife having an affair, he just left. He quit his job and moved away. And he left her and her daughter Pearl behind. Uh, Smythe gained custody of Pearl. She gained custody of Pearl. And she remained at the hotel. And continued fucking HHL. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it. <laughs> so Julia and Pearl disappeared on Christmas Eve of 1891. And Holmes later claimed she had died during an abortion. 
though he now that would truly happen to both of them was never confirmed. And then another likely Holmes paramour was named Emmeline Sagrand, and she began working in the building in May of 1892, and she disappeared that December. I mean, if you've seen pictures of this man, I mean, he 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 was on all outward levels and a very attractive man. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that he didn't about him having all these multiple women. And that's not a surprise. <laughs> so she disappeared in December of 1892. Now, his next woman, Edna Van Tassel, is also believed to be one of his victims. And his usual murder method was by suffocation of his victims, including mm-hmm. an overdose of chloroform, overexposure to light and gas fumes, trapped in an airless vault. To give some examples, Holm also claimed to have used starvation and burning victims alive in his castle. So he was working at the Chemical Bank building on Dearborn Street, and he met and became close friends with a man named Benjamin Peitzel, who was a carpenter. He had a criminal past, and he was exhibiting the same building. You know, he was exhibiting in the same building as a coal bin he had invented. And Holmes used Peitzel as his right man hand in several criminal schemes. You know, uh, so, yeah, it was later described as Holmes's tool, his creature. It was Mm. like his, his minion. Yeah. Yeah. So then in uh, 1893, he met an actress, a a former actress named Minnie Williams. She moved to Chicago, and Holmes claimed to have met her in the employment office. Though there were rumors he had met her in Boston years later, then he offered her a job at the hotel as his personal stenographer. She accepted, and he persuaded her to transfer the deed to some property she had in Fort Worth, Texas. He persuaded her to give it to a man named Alexander Bonds, which was one of his aliases. So in April uh, 1893, uh, she transferred uh, the deed with Holmes serving as the notary. Oh, jeez. And he later signed the deed over the Paisal to give him alias Benton T. Lyman. So next month, Holmes and William presented themselves as man and wife and rented an apartment in Chicago's Lincoln Park. So Minnie's sister came to visit and in July and she wrote her aunt that she planned to accompany her brother Harry to Europe. After that, neither she or Minnie were seen again after alive after July 5th, 1893. They just mm-hmm. disappeared. He had... Um, he had medical connections, and what he would do is, is he would sell some of the skeletons of his victims to med schools. Wow. So, um, the insurance companies were coming after him, and the arson, you know, you know he, it's suspected that he was the arsonist, you know. So, he left Chicago in July 1894, and he, mo- he moved to Fort Worth to take some of Minnie's Property. I mean, as I was stopping, like this man is beyond a serial killer. Like when you really look at the scan, like for his day, he is probably, and even nowadays, if you were compare it, he is a Ugh. master criminal. Yeah, he is. Like it's not just killing; it's all the other things that he's able to get away with. He just he he's um, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, he's like one of these uh supervillains in a, in a comic book or something. It's unreal, yeah. But it, it was real. It happened. 
But he so he built another a building on on uh, on Minnie's land in in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. But then um, he he wanted to he never did finish the structure and he never did pay his suppliers and they don't think that any murders happened on that site. Well, that sounds like somebody. No. So he, <laughs> well, I'm gonna leave it alone. Well, yeah, but he never became president. Thank God. He yeah. I don't know. Today he might. He might. <laughs> you know. So uh, he was arrested July 1894 and briefly jailed on the charge of selling mortgage goods in St. Louis, Missouri. And he was probably bailed out while in jail and struck with a conversation with a convicted outlaw named Marion Hedgepeth, who was serving a 25-year sentence. And Holmes concocted a plan to swindle an insurance company out of $10,000 by taking out a policy on, his t- on himself and faking his death. How do you like that? He wanted to take a policy out on himself and face his death. Wow. And he promised Hedgepath a $500 commission in exchange for the name of a lawyer who could be trusted. So he gave him a young St. Louis attorney named Jephthah. Oh, excuse me. And Howe was in practice with his older brother, Alfonso Howe, who had no involvement with Holmes or, or Peisel or their fraudulent activities. But Jephthah, however, found Holmes brilliant scheme. Brilliant. He liked, he liked what Holmes was doing. And Holmes' plan to fake his own death failed when the insurance company became suspicious suspicious and refused to pay. <laughs> Holmes, you can't make this stuff up, can you? Holmes, no. did not, he didn't press the claim. Instead, he concocted a similar plan with Pfizer. So Pfizer agreed to fake his death. Somebody needs to make a TV series so out of that. So that his wife can collect on a $10,000 life insurance life insurance policy. It's too much. And she was going to split it with home and Jephthah. How? Wow. And the scheme was going to take place in Philadelphia and call for Paisel to set him up as an inventor under the name of B.F. Perry and then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. But Holmes was to find an appropriate cadaver to play. Oh, he's going to fake body. To put to say that it's Pizer. But instead he killed Pizer and knocked him unconscious with chloroform and then set his body on fire. Wow. His con- <laughs> I know, it's too much. <laughs> and then he, he tried to make it uh, he made it look like a suicide and collected the insurance. It's always about collecting the insurance. And why are these insurance it's like companies be paying this man? So then he went up to suspend. He, he manipulated business part the wife into allowing his, three of her five children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard, to be placed in his custody. Oh God! So the oldest daughter and the baby remained with Mrs. Peisel, and the three the three younger chi- the three children traveled through them through the United States into Canada. They that went is, all around with That him. is not the guardianship you had. <laughs> simultaneously, he escorted Mrs. Peisel along a parallel road, all the while using various aliases and lying to Mrs. Peisel concerning her husband's death. She's thinking, her, she, he's telling her her husband's in London, and her husband's dead. She don't even know it. Poor thing. And as well as lying about her true whereabouts, of the three children in Detroit just before leaving Canada they were only separated by a few blocks she thought the kids were way across the country and they were just three blocks away oh wow so he was staying in another location with his wife who was unaware of the whole thing 
and he would later confess to mur he murdered Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He drilled a hole in the lid of the trunk and put one end of a hose uh, through a wall and had attached the other end to a gas line and asphyxiated the two little girls. Now we tell you this involves the death of the murdering children. And then he buried their nude bodies in the cellar of his rental house in Toronto. And the house no longer exists. Um, now, um, a private detail, Philadelphia police detective named Frank Geyer assigned, was assigned to investigate homes and find the three missing children. And he found the decomposed bodies of the two girls in the Toronto home. And he wrote that we, the deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became. When we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone in the forearm of a human being. And then he went to Indianapolis, where home had rented a cottage, and he was reported to have visited a local pharmacy that purchased drugs, which were used to kill the, the little boy, and, and, and a repair shop to sharpen knives. You chopped the body up. He looked at the little boy, chopped his body up, and burned And the boy's teeth and bits of bones were discovered in the chimney. It's too much. It's yeah. So his murder spree, spree ended on November seventeenth, eighteen ninety four, after he was tracked from Philadelphia by the uh, Pinkertons, and he was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft. They murder spree. Horse, horse wait, wait, wait. I got. Oh, I gotta say something. That that is an understatement. You can't call this a murder spree. This was a murder full on rampage. Okay. It was an event. No, no, no. A rampage. Yeah, it is a rampage. This is not a spree. Oh, a spree. Like, it's not like, oh, you wake up, you kill a few people. No, he went... He went off, completely off the rails. He also had... Yeah, he had outstanding horse theft in Texas. And the authorities have become more suspicious <laughs> at this point, And Holmes appeared poised to flee the country in the company of his unsuspecting third wife. Now, they found, after they discovered Alice and Nellie's bodies in July 1895, they told reporters they began investigating Holmes, uh, Holmes's building in Inglewood, now referred to as the castle. And through many sensational claims were made, no evidence was found which could have convicted Holmes in Chicago. According to Seisler's story, Seltzer, story is of torture and equipment found in the building in the 20th, 20th century were fiction. This is some people say they found, because I forget how long the building, we'll find out how long the building stood. So in October 1895, he was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel and found guilty and sentenced to death. And then it was evident that he had also murdered the three children. And following his conviction, he confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto. Though some people, he confessed to murder and was still alive. And six attempted murders. Holmes paid, was paid $7,500 by the Hertz newspaper exchange for his confession, which quickly, which most people found out was, was not untrue. And he gave contradictory accounts of his life, initially claiming innocence and later that he was possessed by Satan. The devil made me do it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But he is such a pathological liar. No, you, it's really hard to believe what was happening. So finally, 
The murder spree really ended on May 7, 1896, when he was hanged in uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia County, uh, County Prison for the murder of the, the father. And until moments of death, he remained calm and amenable and showed very few signs of fear, anxiety, or depression. Despite this, he asked for his coffin to be con contained with cement and buried 10 feet deep because he was concerned grave robbers would steal his body and use it for dissection. Oh, the irony of it all! Huh? <laughs> and it's funny, when he, when, he, when he was hanged, his neck didn't break, but he was strangled to death slowly. It took him 15 minutes to die. 15 to 20 minutes to die. And his body was uh, interned in an unmarked grave in Holy Cross Cemetery. See, that's the, bizarre, that's the bizarre thing where they think that something, that it took him that long to die. That's why some, there's mm. this legend that he might have been possessed. Yeah, and it's also uh, on New Year's Eve 1909... Hedgepath, who had been pardoned for informant on Holmes, was shot and killed by a police officer, Edward Jabruco, during a holdup in the Chicago Saloon. On March 7, 1914, the Chicago Tribune uh, reported that the death of Patrick Quinnen, the former caretaker of the castle, the mysterious Holmes Castle, would remain unexplained. Quinton had committed suicide by taking strychnine. His body was found in his bedroom with a note that read, I couldn't sleep. His surviving relatives claimed that he had been haunted for several months and was uh, suffering from hallucinations. And the castle itself was gutted by fire in, eight, in August 1895, and according to newspaper clippings of the New York Times, two men were seen entering the back, back of the building between 8 and 9 p.m. About a half hour later, they were seen exiting the building rapidly, running away. Following several explosions, the castle went up in flames, and afterwards investigators found a half-empty gas, gas can under the back steps of the building. The building survived the fire, and it remained in use until it was torn down in 1938, and it's now a post office. <laughs> Talk about going postal. Now, this is something, too. <laughs> Dear Barry. <laughs> in 2017. That was there are allegations that he, in fact, escaped execution, so they exhumed his body for testing. And due to his coffin being contained with the semen, his body, his body was found not to have decomposed normally. It's almost his like a mummification. Perfectly, yeah. his clothes were perfectly preserved, and his mustache was found to be intact. And the body was was possibly identified to be Holmes, and then he was reburied. Yeah. Wow. This guy is... <laughs> oh, my God. So, anyway, I read a book about this um, in um, 2003. It's called The uh, Devil in Sight, uh, White City, Murder, Magic, and Madness at the Fair that Changed America. This was a really good book. It, uh, it coincides the, the, the history of the fair along with H.H. H. Holmes. In the 1974 um, novel American Gothic by Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, was a fictionalized version of, of Holmes. And then there's also the 2017 biography, H.H. H. Holmes, True Story of Devil and, of the White City Devil. 
And the History Channel aired eight episode limited docuseries called American Ripper. Did you know there's also a rumor that he may have been Jack the Ripper? There is, there is. I mean, the only problem with that, though, is they'd have to... I don't know if all the murders line up where there it could is, even They were saying that he was in England at the time of the murders, yeah. that he was in London. So, I don't know if maybe... Because the murders only happened in a, in a span of how long, um, the Jack the Ripper murders. Weren't they only like two or three weeks? A couple of months? Yeah, but the thing about it is the the entire... Mo the motive or whatever the right the, the the methods and the mentality between who is the ripper and him there are differences. Yeah, well, you know they do say the ripper has was someone with medical knowledge. Of course, there's a lot a lot of people. A, there are a lot some of, similarities. Well, yeah, there are similarities, but at the same time, those similarities. Yeah, he, well, nobody loved dissecting people and. Well, dissection was a big thing. Okay, first off, let's take the time. At the time we're talking about, this is the late 1800s. And the late 1800s is rife of a time of both knowledge and spirituality. Okay? So we have the idea of medicine was progressing. I mean, we have leaps and bounds going on there. This was the age we saw technology. I mean, come on, he was at the world's... Fair. He was seeing the starts of things on, like, what we're talking about, like, electricity and all these other things. Yeah, because one of the reasons it's called White City is because it was the first place they showed electric lights, bright electric lights. Yeah. That we, that's commonplace in our world. Yeah. This idea of the modern world was all coming about at the time, and he was in the city that was one of the cities at the forefront. Chicago was at the forefront. London was also at the forefront of a lot of yeah. this in Victorian England. Am I going to say, yeah, there is a possibility it could be the Ripper? Yes, there's always a possibility. Is it likely? Probably not. I, I mean, I can't. You see, at this point, there's too Chicago much to... was the second largest city in the United States, which L.A. at that time, which is now the second largest city in the United States, L.A. was nothing but a, a little one-horse country town at yeah. that point in time. I mean, can I mean, it was like, this is Western time, you know? I would have said, though, he would have read about probably the Ripper. He would have been very intrigued by the Ripper. But yeah. there's just something that tells me I don't think it's him. Well, let's see, what was he doing there is when the n- Ripper murders happened? Let me, let me explain. The reason why I say that, if you look carefully at the Ripper murders, there has, I feel, always feel like it's had to have been a British citizen. It has had to have been an aristocratic British citizen. Because in order to maneuver and cover up things the way those murders were done, it could not have been done by an American. Plain and simple. It could not. Okay, they happened between April 3rd, 1888, and no, it's, it's highly unlikely. April, 18, April 3rd, 1888, and February 13th, 1891. And at that he time, couldn't have been no, there. He couldn't have been there during But that time. even if you, even if somebody tried to pull, oh, he went back and forth. Which I'm not saying he didn't have the money to do that. He sure did. Well, yeah, but you, you but know. there's things if you look, and I know we have not done the Ripper murders. One day we might actually look at Jack the Ripper, and and who he might have been. But in my heart, he is a British 
he was a British national. Yes. If, if not an aristocrat. Now, always felt Could like have been a member of the royal family. There are rumors about that. It could be a side. But we know for sure he had to have been a British aristocrat, which which cancels out H.H. H. Holmes. Because there's inner working. He was doing too much stuff here during that time. And he's doing too much here. so he going, and, and he couldn't have gone back and forth. It's not like today that you can hop no. on a plane and be in London it wouldn't be in eight as, hours. It was like, what, three week Well, I mean, he had, money, he had money to be on the ships, but it just doesn't line up. It's, he, no. it's too much. It's too I mean, much. How long did a, did, a, did a ocean liner back then to... From now, the United States to England. Hey. Now, do I am going to say that that there weren't possibly influences going both ways for both Jack the Ripper and H.H. H. Holmes? Yes. Yeah. Because newspapers were huge in the late 1800s. So I'm sure H.H. H. Holmes was reading about him. And I'm sure Jack the Ripper might have been reading about H.H. H. Holmes. H.H. Well, Holmes didn't really get caught until long after Jack the Ripper had stopped. Which, but 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 I'm. H.H. H. Holmes was um, he was he was executed in 1896, and he was caught. Yeah. And I'm looking this up right here. 18, uh, no, he was still work, doing stuff in 1893. He hadn't been caught in anything yet. But for sure on H.H. H. Holmes, I am sure H.H. H. Holmes had read about. H.H. H. Holmes didn't really get into the news. Until like 1894, and the Ripper murders were already had stopped by then. Yeah, but I'm sure so for H.H. H. H. Holmes, there was, was, was there was influenced influence by, by Jack, Jack the Ripper. Ripper yeah, oh, this probably was his hero. You know? Probably so. He'd be like, ooh, you know. And his his family, and none of his descendants have any problems with the law. Anything. It was just he was just the freak. He was the freak of nature. In every, from all accounts, people talk about the way he grew up and everything in New Hampshire. It was all his, it's not like we can make him a sociopath. There's not, his upbringing seemed very normal, very, no weird things said, everything that was ever looked up on him. I mean, didn't you hear about that when you were reading up and looking in the documents? Yeah, you see, they didn't discover the bodies of the children until 1895. Right. So Jack the Ripper would not have exactly. You know, his stuff happened a little a couple of years later. People just want to put things together, and there's a lot of things even with him himself besides connections. Just the legend within the Chicago area, you know, they want to connect all these other murders to him, and it wasn't him. It just wasn't. I mean, there are other people. No, he, he was doing too much stuff around here during that time. Yeah, but he did enough. To create this legendary idea. Yeah. Well, it says it says here that his um, that he is a uh, ten to thirty poor. Um, estimated possible two hundred over two hundred people. Now you see, eighteen ninety one was his, the span of his crimes, so that's probably why, because that's when Jack the Ripper stopped. Yeah. Now the reason we get up to the, like you're bringing up the two hundred something. Like moving away, kind of from that, focusing mainly on what happened in Chicago. The reason they're thinking that is during when they had the exposition. That was 1893. There were so many people that had flooded the city. I, I forget what they say about the population of Chicago. It had oh well, people had come, and not only people coming to see the fair. There were presenters people had come in there to, to get presenters, and people coming there to get a job at the fair. Jobs at the fairs. 
there was an insane amount of international people too there. There were influx of all kind of cultures. Things were coming in. Like I'm just saying, there was people that probably didn't even have all paperwork together or were on record. So it was very easy for people to go missing. Yeah. A.K.A. murder, is what I'm saying. And then I'm sure a lot of the people who came from the family were transient. Yeah. Even today, you can get away with you know, transients and, and prostitutes. What's and the other big time? What is the other big thing about the late 1800s? We know this. You know this well enough being having a, Italian heritage. I have a Assad that's Italian. What is big about the late 1800s? Italians, Irish, Polish, all Germany. these immigrants, Germans. Also... What else is going on? We have, we have in the late 1800s, we're starting to have a huge influx of African Americans from the South coming up to Chicago as yes, well. Yes, that too. Yeah, that's Working right. Working their way up that way. So what I'm saying is Chicago was... that's where all those people, Cabrini, Green, the good times would have been that. And as the westward expansion happened, Chicago was becoming even more important in certain aspects than New York of the bridge in the country, bridging east mm-hmm. and west. So we're talking about all of this is going on, that there's all these transient people that we're talking about. All these people that may not be known or missed or by themselves, but there's a lot of them there. Yeah. So there's a lot of death. I'm not, I'm not, we probably will never know the true number. Yeah. And there's probably bones in the wall, like down somewhere, and well, there's like a lot the of ground. these killers. We don't know who really, how many did it. Wow. And you <sighs> never will in this. So, so let's talk because of the theme. Why we put him here? The claim he made of being the devil incarnate. The claims he yeah. made again. They said he even at times there was things saying that he in those later days while he was in prison before he got executed um, that he started to actually resemble the devil he let himself go on certain facial hair and wanted to make things like there's all these claims on stuff there is the weird thing about his death the 15 to 20 minutes which I, I mean was it a faulty hanging or was there a weird spirit inside and keeping him gone for a little while <laughs> I don't yeah yeah so I mean I mean, what, I mean, how do you feel about it? I mean, normally you ask me sometimes, but I want to ask you. How do you feel about it? I think it was just a desperate way to try to get out of it. Uh, trying yeah. to, I don't think he had any thought that he was anything to do with the devil. There was nothing spiritual about, about him. He was just a psycho. That's what I think about it. I think he's just... Well, he definitely... Yeah, I'm going I'm to go with you. There's definitely psychopath. Mm-hmm. I'm giving him that. He's getting that. I don't think there's any demon stuff in anything. There's no evidence of him having any type of... Uh, being in any cult or anything. Or... No. However, um, there's also a lot of printing, a lot of knowledge going on. Like I said, at the end of the... Um, at the end of the 1800s, the end of the 19th century... Could he have stumbled around things and Trump had this ego where he made himself up to be this figure? Well, that's that just illusions of grandeur. Right, right. So I'm not going to say that there may not have been an influence of the devil, but it's not like last week where we were looking at Son of Sam. There was an actual cult yeah, involved, no, in, that, that was and we can actually there. connect it to whatever. But it's also hard because where Son of Sam, we have all of that. TV coverage. We have the 
interviews from Maury Terry. We have all that stuff. We were the problem in the, in the, in the late eighteen uh, hundreds, nineteenth century. All we had was the newspaper, recorded well, print another accounts. Thing, another thing too. All a lot of his crimes were based on profit. It was all about money. It was all about conning people out of money. It was all about insurance scam. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was doing sacrifices to the devil. He was stealing money and killing. Like even with the ones that he threw in the chute, and he was taking their money. He got he got the woman's property from her. It wasn't anything. He wasn't unless, involved in any kind of cult or anything. Unless like, like Son of Sam. Unless there is that within the castle. There may have been not just the secret passageways, but there was possibly a secret chamber for a secret society, which involved more than just him. There are rumors and legends of that. That's rumors, and that's things that people. But it's uh, never been discovered, so we can't say was. There's it that. no evidence, but I don't. I, I, re, I personally think that he was just a sleazy con man, and he was doing it for the money. He wasn't doing it for any kind of spiritual thing. He. He did have the money feed his habit. I will say that. You know, he it his was, habit for killing, you know. It was yeah, he he he's he's a serial killer. He's a he's a psychopath, he's a sociopath, but I don't think that he was possessed by the devil or anything like that. No, I don't believe that. I know the devil made me do I know it, we we wanted to because this is because the devil there's a personal it. part that I find it's his ego at that point, which is different which is even different than what was well, we ego and it's and it's money he wanted he wanted to do he wanted um he was stealing the money he was conning him he stole the woman's land yeah so that's it's yeah it's it's really my so this was this was really to show y'all sometimes people will claim the devil made them do something but we just there's no evidence no there's, there's no evidence in this one all right so uh, you can follow us on Twitter at A Shutters, and you can follow Open Shutters Go to the Movies or at A Barry Marino Five. I really wish I would have gotten a better <laughs> Twitter address than that, but I foolishly put my name instead of the podcast name, and I went, "Oh no!" And that, but that time I didn't want to change it. Um, I will uh, Instagram is at Open Shutters Podcast. Our Facebook business page, and I said this wrong last week. I said them both as a business page. Oh, yeah. My business page is Open Shutters, a creepy podcast. Our Facebook group uh, is the official page for Open Shutters, a, uh, a creepy podcast. We in the process soon to be um, getting some merchandise on on um, on the press cafe press. So we'll have some more uh, information about that at a later time. And uh, if you want to email us and talk, tell us what you think, our email address is openshutters at yahoo.com. So, until next time, we're going to put this up. We're going to go watch Rosemary's Baby now. So, until next time, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Unless you got a really, really horrible hotel where you're throwing people in, in the fire and gassing them and... You can fall out of any window. Fall out of one of the windows of your hotel. <laughs> or fall down the chute. <laughs> or fall down the chute. All righty. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a good one. Vampires. Ghosts. Crazed killers. Werewolves. 
open shutters goes to the movies. Barry Marino and Philip Landry will discuss some of the most horrifying films Hollywood has to offer. Open Shutters Goes to the Movies is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, and anywhere podcasts can be heard. Enjoy the view from the silver screen, but don't make it your final credit.